The Guardian. Questions to the Prime Minister, Eric Joyce. Number one, sir. I've been asked to reply. Mr Speaker, before listing my right honourable friend's engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the family and friends of the two Royal Marines who were killed in Afghanistan on Sunday, Lieutenant John Thornton and Marine David Marsh. We owe them both a deep debt of gratitude. Mr Speaker, as the House will be aware, my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, is today in Bucharest, Romania, for the NATO summit meetings of heads of state and government. Speaker, in a few days, the uh, all-party group on the Great Lakes uh, region of Africa will visit uh, Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo, both countries which have uh, proper, legitimate, democratically elected governments. Does my right honourable friend agree that it's time today for Mr Robert Mugabe to accept that the people of Zimbabwe deserve no less? I commend my honourable friend for the work that he does in his all-party group, and he is absolutely right that the whole House will express its concern and solidarity for the people of Zimbabwe and that they should have their democratic choice respected and recognised. Honourable members on all sides of the House have raised the plight of the people in Zimbabwe. Four million people have been forced to flee that country. The average life expectancy is now down to 34 and the economy is in ruins. But today, the eyes of the world are on Zimbabwe and Zimbabwe stands at a turning point. Robert Mugabe must respect the decision of his people. Mr Speaker, I join the Leader of the House in paying tribute to Lieutenant John Thornton and Marine David Marsh, who were killed in southern Afghanistan on Sunday, and to the soldier who was killed in Iraq last Wednesday, a further reminder of the sacrifices and service of our armed forces. And on a lighter note, I'd like to congratulate the Leader of the House on being the first female Labour member ever to answer Prime Minister's questions. Uh, She must be proud three decades on to be following in the footsteps of Margaret Thatcher, who we on this side of the House and the Prime Minister so much admire. And just just one question on uh, Zimbabwe before the Foreign Secretary's statement at 12.30. Will she make it clear on behalf of the Prime Minister that Britain wants to send the clearest possible signal that the world will be there to help the people of Zimbabwe, on top of what she's just rightly said, and that there will be a comprehensive plan to assist them whenever they are able to move away from corruption and dictatorship to the rule of law and democracy? Well, I thank him for his uh, congratulations, but I would ask him, why is he asking the questions today? Because he is not the shadow leader of the House. The shadow of the leader of the House is sitting next to him. Is this the situation in the modern Conservative Party that women should be seen but not heard? Perhaps I could offer the shadow leader of the House a bit of sisterly advice. She should not let him get away with it. And on the question, on the question, on the question, on the question, on the question 
of Zimbabwe, I absolutely endorse uh, the comments that the Honourable Gentleman has made, and I endorse them on behalf of the Government. This Government is the biggest, second biggest donor to Zimbabwe. We stand ready to step up that support, and we will be working with the international community. But there is a particular focus on South Africa and Africa to help find a solution to this problem. And my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, has spoken to Thabo Mbeki, he's spoken to Kofi Annan, and will work to make sure that the pressure is on Robert Mugabe to respect the democratic choice of his people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, turning to domestic issues, I was going to be nice to thee, right on. Uh, she's had a, she has had a difficult week, and she had to explain yesterday that she dresses in accordance with wherever she goes. She wears a helmet to a building site, wears Indian clothes to Indian parts of her constituency. Presumably, when she goes to a cabinet meeting, she dresses as a clown. Uh, but I, I was... I was going to be nice to her before that, but turning to serious domestic issues, the Prime Minister is reported to have said on Monday night that no one would be worse off as a result of the doubling of the 10p tax ban this weekend. Does she think that statement was true? Well, I would just start by saying that, um, that if I'm looking for advice on what to wear or what not to wear, I think the very last person I would look to advise is the man in the baseball cap. Turning to the important question of the economy, it's been our government's determination to ensure that we have a strong, stable and growing economy so that people can be in work, be in their jobs and be better off. What's important is that people should have jobs and that they should be able to afford their mortgages. And I would say before the Honourable Gentleman, the Right Honourable Gentleman, cries any crocodile tears about low-income families, perhaps I can remind the House that when he was Leader of the Opposition, it was he that led the opposition to our national minimum wage, and it was he that led the opposition on tax credits which are helping six million low-income families. I didn't detect an answer to the question in all of that. Uh, and she might still need advice on what to wear. She thinks her constituents might kill her. She should look behind her. Uh, so, but is it not the case? Is it not the case that contrary... Contrary to what the Prime Minister said on Monday night, 5.3 million mainly lower-paid families will be worse off this weekend, as demonstrated by the, by the Institute of Fiscal Studies and as confirmed by a Treasury official to the Treasury Select Committee. An issue where that after the meeting of Labour MPs on Monday night, where this point was made, one minister said, Gordon didn't seem to understand what they were talking about and kept insisting that nobody would lose out. He didn't seem to understand why voters were unhappy with it and gave the impression he was living on another planet. Wasn't that minister speaking the truth? And was it by any chance her? I think one thing we do recognise, the tax burden... The tax burden under this government is not as high... 
burden under this government is not as high as it was under the government of which he was a part. And I would also say, when it comes to standards of living, when it comes to standards of living, when we came into government, this country was the worst amongst the G7 for average income per head in this country, and after 10 years of Labour government, we are second from the top, and we stand by that record. If she thinks the tax burden is declining in this country, then the government is even more out of touch than anybody thought it might have been. The cost of living is rising. Real earnings have fallen for two years. The government have chosen this moment to hit five million mainly lower-paid families to kick them when they are down. And let me read to her what another minister said on the record this time, the health minister who said that people feel the government is losing touch with what fairness means to the majority who work hard, play by the rules, and are feeling squeezed by rising utility bills, the cost of petrol, and rising council tax. Doesn't she have even a little bit of sympathy with the view of that minister that people feel the government is out of touch? I do think it's right to recognise that with the international financial turbulence and uncertainty that people, that people are apprehensive and they need to be able to look to the government to have the determination that we will make sure that our economy is as resilient as possible as this country faces difficult and challenging economic circumstances. And it's because we are in touch and concerned about the issues that most affect the British people that we have improved hospitals and schools, that we have ensure, ensured that there are more jobs in the economy, and that is what we will continue to do. She is allowed, while the Prime Minister's uh, not here, to say the government is out of touch. He's gone to a meeting in a palace, so he's probably lost by now. Uh, and she is allowed to... A agree with the minister who said the government was out of touch. But she has acknowledged, and I thank her for that, that people are apprehensive about the situation. But two months ago, she wrote in her blog, there was no sense at all of concern or insecurity over the economy. People are not worried about their own prospects in 2008. So does she now want to update that statement in the light of what she just said? and say that people are now apprehensive and that they are feeling insecure and that the government is out of touch. Well, I, when I wrote that blog as part of my um, Harriet in the High Street listening... people in Princess Street in Edinburgh, that's what people were saying to me. And I acknowledge, I acknowledge and we readily acknowledge that since then the situation internationally has become more turbulent and people's concerns are raised. So we have to be ever vigilant and make sure that we keep the economy strong through difficult international times in a way that their previous government wasn't. And as far as uh, his jokes are concerned, normally people used to say about him, great jokes, uh, poor judgment. But I have to say, on today's performance, he should be worrying about his income as an after-dinner speaker. 
I won't ever be accusing the Right Honourable Lady of being all jokes, uh, Mr Speaker, so we needn't worry about that. But hasn't she just given a demonstration of how out of touch the government has become? Five million families worse off this weekend, and the Prime Minister denies it. Council tax has doubled as of this weekend. 300,000 small businesses worse off this weekend. And isn't the question the whole country is asking is why do we have to wait another two years to get rid of this discredited cabinet and have a change of government? matter is that our economy is continuing to grow and that is important, very important. We recognise that it will be growing at a slower rate than predicted but it is important that it continues to grow. We recognise too that there will be continued investment from business and in industry and we recognise too that what is necessary to keep the economy growing is to ensure that the skills and education levels of people in this country continue to improve. And that's why, to secure the economy for the future, we're ensuring education up to the age of 18 for all people in this country, that we're ensuring more apprenticeships for people in this country, and also we're ensuring that more people have a university education. If, if he was concerned for the prospects are of economy, he would be backing that, not opposing it. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The environmental lobby are urging us to save the planet by drinking only tap water. I have two bot water bottling plants in my constituency, and can I ask my right honourable friend to agree that in any future discussions we remember the jobs of those in the water bottling industry? We do have to recognise that uh, we have to both ensure that there is high employment in the economy, including in her area, and I know she is a champion of people in her area, but we do have to make sure that we cut down on unnecessary waste, and that's why the government is introducing, certainly across the public services, a drinking tap water uh, instead of bottled water. Since cable. Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, it was reported earlier this week that Her Majesty the Queen had cancelled her diamond wedding celebrations because it was judged to be inappropriate to engage in extravagance at a time of economic gloom and recession. <laughs> does, the, uh, does the Minister share my view that this demonstrates the Her Majesty's unerring instincts for the public mood, or does the Government think she was overreacting? <laughs> Uh, the, the Honourable Gentleman shouldn't discuss Her Majesty's the Queen. Uh, perhaps he can try another question. He's used one up. He's like another one. He's not going to get, he's not going to get a reply. I'm very happy for the Minister to return to the issue of economic gloom and recession, and whether she shares that assessment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, our 
concern, as I said to the right honourable uh, gentleman opposite, our concern is to make sure that people continue to have jobs and he will know that there are 670,000 vacancies still in the economy and that we want to ensure that the economy continues to grow as it has done for something like, I think, six, 62 consecutive quarters. Jim Devane. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As my, as my right honourable friend. Well, the honourable gentleman is out of order. I must move on. Jim Devine. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As my right honourable friend is aware, today is World Autism Day. Autism affects tens of thousands of individuals and families throughout the United Kingdom. What message does she have to those people on this special day? I'm glad my honourable friend has given me the opportunity uh, on behalf of the Prime Minister uh, to mark National Autism today and I would say three things are important in relation to autism. Firstly, early identification. The earlier a child can be identified as having autistic disorder, the more help and support the family and the child can receive. Secondly, the health services who help families and children with autism and the education services are vital and that's why we have doubled investment in services for children with special need. And thirdly, uh, and above all, I would pay tribute to the voluntary sector, particularly the National Autistic Society, who are a lifeline for parents and without whom many families simply could not cope. The UK Government and the Scottish Government are both right to provide the appropriate number of prison places. Why is it then the case that the UK Treasury is not funding the £120 million of Barnet consequential funding which would help reduce overcrowding in Scottish prisons? Um, we have uh, built more prisons uh, and indeed more offenders are being brought to justice which is why there is an increase in prison numbers and as to his point about prison places in Scotland, I will ask my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State to Scotland, to write to him. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last Friday, after campaigning, I went to my local Bangladeshi curry house, and I was told. Keep going. Wait for it. And I was told that the Immigration Service is now visiting Bangladeshi restaurants between 7 and 8 on Fridays and Saturdays at critical periods for any restaurant because it's the busiest period of the week. They are closing the restaurants. They are clearing the customers out. They go without paying for anything. They lose their revenue for Friday and Saturday nights. This is not acceptable. They're not allowed to ring a solicitor. They're not allowed to ring their MP. Can I ask my right honourable friend whether she would meet a group of Bangladeshi restaurant owners so we may at least change the process that the immigration services? I know my honourable friend will understand that enforcement of immigration rules has to be an operational matter for the borders, uh, Border and Immigration Agency. But I would say that the Bangladeshi Catering Association has already made representations to me on this issue. I know that they play an important part uh, in, the, in this country and in our economy, and I would be happy with him uh, to meet representatives of the Bangladeshi Catering Association. Charles Clark. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the right honourable right lady join me in condemning Nick Erickson 
the BNP candidate for the London Assembly elections who said, and I quote, to suggest that rape is a serious crime is like suggesting that force-feeding women chocolate cake is a heinous offence. Will she not agree with me that this man, this creature, is not fit to run for public office? Well, I, I strongly support the comments of the Honourable Member and I thank him for bringing this matter to the House. And I think that it's for all of us, all parties in London, to say that we've got to make sure that everybody votes in the London election because the best way to avoid... The best way to avoid a BNP member being elected to the Greater London Assembly is to make sure that as many people as possible vote for all the other parties. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Dartbury Scientific and Innovation Campus is a great success for the North West region, for the country and for world-class science. Does my right honourable friend agree that its future is too important to be left solely in the hands of the Scientific Research Council involved? My honourable friend is a great champion of science and indeed of the Darsbury Centre in her constituency uh, and I pay tribute to her for that. She will know that this government has doubled investments in science and she will also know that the Minister of State uh, is in her constituency in Darsbury today announcing £25 million uh, extra funds for the next phase of the Darsbury Science and Innovation Campus. Can the Leader of the House explain to council tenants in my constituency why the Labour government asked them to subsidise council tenants in other parts of the country? And why is it for, that for every pound that a council tenant pays in rent to Kingston Council, the government takes 31 pence away to give to other councils? The Prime Minister told the House in July last year that he would reform this unfair system. Why has nothing been done? Um, we are reviewing the way the Housing Revenue Fund works, but I would say that I hope that he would join with me in welcoming the fact that in all the council estates and blocks in his constituency there have been new roofs, there have been new windows, there have been new lifts and that there has been major uh, investment in council housing since this government came into power. Bob Waring. Well, thank you anyway, Mr Speaker. <laughs> would my, uh, would my right honourable friend pass my uh, question to the Prime Minister? Isn't it time, given the uh, anxiety of people who live near the airports in London, particularly Heathrow, that there was a fresh review of airports policy that in fact when, when you look at this country and consider the number of businessmen and tourists who have to travel from the north of England to London before they can uh, go abroad it's absolutely ludicrous regional airport expansion should take place and airports like Liverpool which could matter uh, I'm so glad I called the honourable gentleman, but he's gone on a wee bit too long, so I'll have to stop him. Leader of the House. I will pass his question on to the Prime Minister, but I would also say to him in the House that my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Transport, is keeping all of these issues under close review. Yes, yeah. 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 
The government talks much about Britishness, but it is certainly un-British to lock someone up for over a month purely on grounds of suspicion and not evidence. Given that the pre-charge detention period in most other Western democracies is less than a week, can the Leader of the House do something that her entire Home Office front bench had been unable to do so far, and that is, explain what is so unique about the British that we need over a month? Well, I have to start by saying that I think that the international comparisons have been spurious. That when you, when you, they have, I think that you're comparing completely different processes. But I would say in relation to what the proposals are that this government is bringing to this House and which each member will be able to vote on shortly, is that the responsibility of the government is to make sure that the public are safe and that they are safe from terrorism. And it is also the responsibility of this government to make sure that we protect civil liberties and human rights. And I do find it very ironic that the party opposite, who purports to be strong on public protection, does not support the measures that we are putting forward, and who suddenly decides they want to be concerned about human rights, when in fact they would abolish the Human Rights Act that this Labour government brought in. Thank you, sir. One of the least heralded but most popular initiatives uh, taken in schools in this country has been the fruit in school schemes uh, offered to infant children. In some schools in my constituency, the schools voluntarily extend that scheme beyond the narrow age range covered. Would she agree that the government should consider extending the range of offering that's made at the moment uh, to bring this popular scheme to the availability of other children? Um, I I thank my honourable friend uh, for raising this point. Um, He's absolutely right. Uh, We introduced this in 2004, and now all four- to six-year-olds in primary school have free fruit every day. And he will remember, no doubt, um, as other members of the House do, that when we first introduced this proposal, it was jeered at. Uh, they called it the nanny state, but we called it improving children's health. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I welcome the fact that Lucentis is now being prescribed or will be prescribed for those suffering from wet macular degeneration. However, I was disappointed that the Health Minister, on my debate on dry macular degeneration, seemed to accept that the provision of services and appliances was poor, and yet actually is not having much done about it. Given that the, uh, the Leader of the House accepts the need for the right kit for the right association, can we have the right kit for dry macular degeneration sufferers, please? Having set up the National Institute uh, for Clinical Excellence, we want to make sure that there is evidence-based process for, for new drugs. And I would say to her that whatever she would like to achieve in the health service, it cannot be achieved without the extra investment, not only that Labour's put in over the last 10 years, but is determined to put in in the future. Sharon Hodgson. Mr Speaker, myself and other honourable friends have joined forces 
to campaign for free, universal, locally sourced school lunches. Yeah. Fun for short. Yeah. I'm pleased to say that the Daily Mirror is back in our campaign, recognising that such a policy would help fight child poverty and child obesity. Does my right honourable friend recognise that this would be a radical and progressive policy that would benefit the health and education of millions of children, regardless of family income? Yeah. I pay tribute to my honourable friend who is a champion for, uh, for children in her constituency and I know that she has been pressing on this campaign and the government um, has responded to the points that she's raised and is looking at the results of the uh, pilot that's taken place uh, in Hull. Um, we have actually increased the take-up of free school meals and we've improved, increased the eligibility for free school meals. It's very important that all children, at least once a day, have a good nourishing hot meal. Last week, uh, people living in the Broads area of Norfolk were confronted by a report from Natural England which proposed the possible abandonment of six villages and 25 square miles of land to the sea. Uh, the Leader of the House will understand the potential implications of, of any report of this sort and the immediate implications, and it's without any compensation to those affected. Can the Leader of the House offer any reassurance to those communities that the Government will defend this coastline? I am aware of the issues that he raises and the question of sea defences in the part of the world which he represents is very important indeed. Uh, my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State uh, for DEFRA, is working with the Environment Agency and will work with local authorities and local members of Parliament in that area to make sure uh, that we have the right way forward. John Speller. Will the Leader of the House uh, join me in welcoming the extension yesterday of free bus passes across England yeah. and, also, and also the very welcome extra government funding to local councils to pay for it? Yeah. I will certainly uh, welcome the extension of uh, free bus passes and take the opportunity to say two things. Firstly, people who are over 60 want to be getting out and about to seeing their friends and their family and socialising. And it's very important indeed uh, that they have the opportunity to do so on public transport. It was in 2000 that we required local authorities to introduce half-price fares for pensioners and disabled people. In 2006, we required local authorities to do free fares for uh, all pensioners and disabled people. And from today, wherever they are in the country, uh, pensioners and disabled people will be able to travel free. When the government changed the emphasis from the retail price index to the consumer price index, were they aware that their new choice of index would be substantially lower than the higher one? And what does she say to the pensioners who suffer because of it? Um, I will ask uh, the Chancellor to write to him on that very point. Of the statement, Secretary Miliband. The Guardian.